0: And uh, an especially warm welcome to you if this is your first Sunday joining us in 2022. Happy New Year to you and uh, welcome to you online. My name is Hills. Um, I'm on the leadership team here. And uh, you will have picked up through being here this morning that we have just begun a series last week on the first commandment, the greatest commandment um, as Jesus describes it, loving God with all of our hearts. This week we are drilling down a bit. We've heard about loving him with all our hearts and our minds and our souls. This week, we're going to drill down on what it is to love God with all our soul. But before we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand if you are able. I'm going to read uh, a couple of passages from the Bible. Uh, As you will know if you were here last week, Jesus, uh, as he quoted the Old Testament when he was asked about uh, the greatest commandment, he quoted from the book of the Torah, one of the first five books of the Bible. And when the Jews used to hear the Old Testament, Read out in their synagogues, they would stand for the reading of God's word as a kind of mark of respect, as, an, as, a, as a sort of physical expression of anticipation that God was going to speak through his word. So I thought we'd just kind of, you know, change things up a little bit this morning, just in case you thought you knew what happens exactly here every week, week in, week out. And we're going to stand as we listen to God's word. So uh, this is Matthew 70, uh, 22, verses 34. Two forty, and you can see it on the screen. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, let me just flick to my that passage in my Bible. Um, there you are. Always come prepared. She hasn't got the right verse open. Here we go. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, uh, decided to test Jesus with this question: "Teacher." which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then I'm just going to read a few verses from a story uh, in Luke that we're going to come on to in chapter 7, starting at uh, verse 34. And again, it'll be a story that's familiar to some of you. And I just want you to imagine the scene in your mind. Jesus was having dinner with some Pharisees. Uh, a particular Pharisee had invited him to dine at his house. And a woman at that uh, in the town uh, decided to, or she didn't decide, she decided to come and find Jesus. And she came in verse 37, uh, she'd lived a sinful life, she came in with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, as her tears fell on his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then I imagine the text doesn't say this. She got down on her knees because she then, with her hair, kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. And the Pharisee who saw this, you know, muttered and had some disapproving thoughts and was thought, gosh, if he knew what was going on, he would never let this happen. And then Jesus says this to him, verse 42: two people owed money to a moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Which one will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, yes. And he says a few other things about the woman and then he, sen- he says, verse 47, I tell you, Simon, I tell you, Pharisee, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Okay, grab a seat. We're just going to dip into these two passages for a little bit in the time that remains this morning. But a bit of context, first of all, for this question, going back to Matthew 22, of the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking him this question. I don't know if you know this, but the Old Testament scriptures in the first five books of the Bible, what was known as the Torah uh, for the Jewish people, they contained over 600 commandments. 613 commandments, apparently. Somebody's obviously bothered counting. 248 of those commandments are positive do this, do that, do the other. And the remaining number, 365, just check my sums, the remaining 365 commandments were negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. So if you were trying to follow God, if you were trying to work out how to live your life in the way that God might want uh, in that day and age, you had an awful lot to contend with because on top of those uh, over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, another 1,500 commandments grew up around this studying of the Torah. And the rabbis used to argue about which ones were more important. And people tried to wrestle with, well, you know, where do I start? How do I get on with this? Which ones are most important to God? Which ones should be most important to me? Which ones are going to make my life work better? Which ones um, am I meant to aim for? You know, people really wrestled with that. And of course, we ask those same kind of questions today, not of necessarily religious leaders, but we are part of being human is to wrestle with questions about life, isn't it? That's why alpha is so effective. You know, we we want to know, or well, many of us go through seasons where we particularly want to know how do I make life work? What matters in this life? What's gonna lead me into happiness? What's gonna lead me to live a life that is fulfilled and purposeful? And make how do I know? How to make the most of my life or whether, you know, my life is really making a difference. When I get to the end of my life, how am I going to know whether it's really counted for something? And these people, you know, in our culture, our culture sort of encourages us to ask those questions, doesn't it, by looking within us. You know, we can find the answer within. We just need to look in. Or maybe if we don't know that the answer is within us, we need to kind of look at science or we need to look at philosophy. Or we maybe need to look at political ideology. And that's going to give us some clues about how to make the most of life. But these people in first century Israel, as Jesus was uh, walking on this earth and hanging out and teaching them about God, they expected God to have the answer to these questions. And so they asked him, the Pharisees asked him, okay, tell us, you know, 613 commandments and an extra 1500. What's the most important thing? What do we need to know about most? What's going to make all the difference to my life? And Jesus is effectively saying here, well, hey guys, it's all about love. Life is all about love. Now, I know we've been, you know, Tim has referred to Pottergate this week. I know we've all seen about that kind of stuff in the news, but I, I hope you've seen the most important headline this week, that Simon Cowell is engaged. Do you know that? He's finally engaged, having said he was never going to get married. Because according to his friends, apparently, a lot of things have happened in the last few years that have been a reminder about what is really precious to him. And what he's discovered is what's really precious is love, his relationship with his family. Rick Warren, many of you will know, uh, an unbelievably faithful pastor who's served the same church for 42 years that God has used you know, on a global scale. He's written the, the, the biggest selling book outside the Bible uh, on earth. He retired at the end of last year, and uh, he was quoted as saying this as he contemplated retirement. As a pastor, I've stood at the bedside of literally thousands of people as they took their last breath. I've never once heard somebody in their dying moment say this, bring me my football trophy. I want to see it one more time. Or bring me my nice gold watch or my social media feeds and posts so I can see, you know, how effective they were. Nobody ever says that. They say, bring me the people that I love. In the closing moments of their life, what people want the most are that they—what people want the most is the people that they love most around them. We all eventually figure out that life is all about love. This is what Rick Warren said. I just hope people learn that sooner rather than later. And Jesus is taking it further here. And he's saying, "Yes, life is all about love, but love doesn't start with family. Doesn't love doesn't start with the people that are most precious to us? Love starts with God. It starts with loving God. That's what this great commandment is all about." And last week uh, we were looking, we were digging uh, a bit more deeply into loving God with all our heart. Tim's done a brilliant summary of that this morning. This week we're going to dig a bit deeper into what it means to love God with our soul. God is after our whole hearts. That word all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, not just with your heart, but with all your heart. Not just with your soul, but with all your soul. Not just with my mind, but with all of my mind. He wants the whole of us. But what does it mean to love God with our souls? How do I do that? How do I love him with all of my soul? Now, as Tim helpfully reminded us this morning, this word soul that Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy, the Hebrew word is nefesh. Nefesh. Say it again, nefesh. And as he reminded us, it is not this sort of invisible sort of part of us that just floats up to heaven when we die. You know, that's the influence of Greek thought on our Western mindset. It literally translates as, the word nefesh literally translates as living being. People are a nefesh. I am a Nephesh. You are a nefesh, Hannah. We don't have a nefesh. We are a nefesh. So what Jesus is really saying is that to love the Lord our God with all of our souls is to love God with all of our lives. So look at your hands. Look at the ears of the person next to you. Look at, look at their mouth. Well, you can't see their mouths. <laughs> Think about your own mouth any of you got a wallet or a purse on you? Look at your wallet. Look at your watch with your time. Look at your phone. Maybe you can feel your house keys in your pocket. To love God with our nefesh, with our soul, is to love him with all of our being, with every part of us, with what makes us us, with our uh, capabilities, with our limitations, with our... um, Desires, with my passions, with my resources, with my energy, with my time, with my talents, with my influence, with my career, with my home, with my family, with my sexuality, with my physical body, with my relationships, with my phone, with the platform. God's given me wherever that is with all of what makes me me with every part of my life. Literally to love him with all of our souls is to love him with all of our life, not just a portion of our lives like an hour and a half on Sunday or the 10 minutes when I read my Bible or the five minutes in the shower when I'm praying or driving my car to work. Jesus is saying love me with all of your life, all of your life, every part of it. Love him in the gym Loving when you're at your desk, when, loving when you're in the operating theatre, loving when you're online, loving when you're in the kitchen, loving when you're with your friends. Be the same person at church, when you're on a date, you know, when you're at the school gate, whatever. No compartmentalizing, no compromising, all of your soul, Hills, all of you, all of your life. And of course, this makes total sense, doesn't it, when we think about it? You know, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, uh, hugely influential in the establishing of the church in the West, he said this, human beings are lovers. You're a lover. I'm a lover because we're created in the image of the great lover. Human beings are lovers. And the problem is not that we don't love. It's that we either love the wrong things or that we love the right things in the wrong order. Tim was talking a bit about this last night. So we love ourselves or our career or our sexuality or or we want to be vindicated or we love our family or we love our reputations or we love pleasure or we love comfort more than we love God. So in telling us to love God with all of our souls, with all of our lives, Jesus is actually protecting us from ourselves. He's actually protecting me from myself Now, let's just remember, God is not a control freak. He's not a narcissist that needs to be at the center of everything and who needs to be loved and who needs, you know, all of my attention and all of my devotion because of, you know, his ego needs to be kept intact. That is not what this is about. God knows that if my heart is attached to the wrong things and if I love the wrong things or I love the right things in the wrong order, actually, it's going to mess with my life. It's going to mess with me because he is the only one who knows how to love me and take care of me and lead me and nurture me and grow me in the way that he intended. So what does it look like? I think uh, the Bible gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to love God with all our souls in this story of the woman with the alabaster jar. You know, I love the way Luke paints this picture. It's actually told in different ways in in all four Gospels. But here she is, picture it in your mind's eye, this woman coming to find Jesus, having supper with the Pharisees, eating with the Pharisees, and she's coming with all of her soul to express her devotion to Jesus in that moment. And what does she do? What what does this picture that the Bible paints of her expression of loving him with all her, her soul, what does she do? She literally puts her life at his feet. Her affection, her tears, her emotion, they fall on his feet. Her wealth, who knows where she got that jar of perfume from, but scholars say it was probably worth a year's wages. Don't know how much you earn. Don't know what a year's wage would mean for you. But for her, as a woman, it was a huge amount of money. It it represented her worldly wealth. What did she do with it? She put it at his feet. Actually, she stood, well, she ended up kneeling, didn't she, to get to his feet. She was in front of a crowd of people who were incredibly critical of her. You know, she risked her reputation in bringing herself to his feet. To love him with her life meant for her bringing herself to his feet. And again, in Hebrew times, to kneel at someone's feet was a physical posture of basically saying, Here I am in humble submission, and I will do what you tell me to do. Her posture was essentially loving him with her soul, saying, here's my life, here's my wealth, here's my emotions, here's my reputation, here's what I've got. I'll do with it whatever you want me to do. I don't know about you, but uh, I use the, the word love in all kinds of different ways. We had a, a Thai uh, meal a couple of nights ago. I love Thai food. Anyone here love Thai food? Yes. Pad Thai It's my favorite. I don't know what yours is. Tim's is Thai curry, Thai green curry. But when I use the word in that kind of context, you know, I mean enjoyment. The word love for me means enjoyment. don't know if anybody here is watching The Masked Singer. Last night, it was uh, the theme was love. And uh, what the, the the association with that word last night for them was romance. We use the word love to mean all kinds of different things, don't we? When Jesus uses the word love in the Bible, when he talks about us, do you know what he associates it with most? Obedience. He says, "If you love me, you will obey my commands." John fourteen twenty one. John 14 23, all who love me will do what I say. As far as Jesus is concerned, love and obedience are as inseparable as ant and deck. They just go together. They're inseparable. So when Jesus talks about loving the Lord our God with all our souls, in his mind, he's assuming that that love will be expressed as obedience And actually, obedience is putting things, isn't it, at God's feet and inviting him to tell us what he wants to do, what he wants to do in us, what he wants to do with us. So to love the Lord, my God, with all my soul is to put my house keys at his feet and say, here's my home. How do you want me to use it? To love the Lord, my God, with all my soul is to put my five-year plan at his feet and say, what do you want to be in this plan, Lord? Lord. This is what I want. What do you want to be in this plan? To love the Lord my God with all my soul is to put my wallet at his feet and say, Lord, here's my money. How do you want me to use it? To love the Lord my God with all my soul is to put my marriage at his feet and say, how do you want me to love my spouse better? To love the Lord my God with all my soul is to put my kids at his feet and say, you know, what's your agenda for them? I know, what, I know what my dreams are for them, but what are your dreams for them? To love the Lord my God with all my soul is to put my pain at his feet and to invite him into my pain and invite him to show me how he wants to deal with it. To love the Lord my God with all my soul is to put my speech at his feet. Lord, how do you want me to use my mouth and to use my words? It's to put my work at his feet. Lord, how do you want me to love you in my workplace? It's to put my sex life at his feet. It's to put my online life at his feet. It's to put my relationship with my body at his feet. It's to put my relationship with the family members I really struggle with at my feet, and so on. And here's the thing. Each time I discover where I can't do this, and of course... You know, so much of this is so hard. Actually, it just shows me where my heart is attached to the wrong things. And actually, God wants me to see that because he wants to lead me into greater freedom and greater wholeness and greater health and a greater experience of his love for me. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, wow, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I even want to do this. This is hard. Yeah, I want to love my love for God to grow. I want my friendship with him to deepen. I want to be closer to him. I want to know more of his love. But I don't know if I can love you, Lord, with all of my soul well you are in good company because i feel like that <laughs> half the time but let's remember a couple of you know really really important things that are actually good news firstly loving somebody of any sort and especially loving god it's a journey isn't it how do you climb a mountain i think i think this command to love god with all of our souls is like a mountain i think it's a bit like mount everest how do you climb a mountain I've never climbed a really high mountain, because actually, I'm not really a fan of climbing mountains. It's hard work. (laughs) But how do you you get an amazing view from the top, don't you? I mean, it's absolutely beautiful and breathtaking. How do you climb a mountain? One step at a time, don't we? This journey of loving God with all of our souls is a process. When I first tasted and was introduced to the love of God many years ago at university, the first thing I was able to put at his feet was my relationships with guys. I couldn't do anything else, didn't put my job there, didn't put my money there. You know, that took quite a long time. But the first thing I was able to put down was my relationship with guys. And God began to speak into that and to do some really significant stuff in my heart. And, uh, you know, Tim is the fruit of that. Yay. (laughs) The question is not, am I loving him with all of my soul today? That's the mountain. But am, am I on my way up the mountain loving him more this year than I did last year? Is there a bit more of my life at his feet in January 2022 than there was in January 2021? Has my ability and my capacity to love him with a bit more of my life grown? Is it growing? That's the key question. I love my kids now more today than I did when they were born a number of years ago. I love my husband. We were having a laugh uh, with some people yesterday morning. You know, when I first met him, it was, you know, butterflies and, you know, tingling and excitement and all those amazing romantic feelings. I'm not saying they're not there now, but they're not there every day. But my love for him, my ability to love him, my desire to, to give up things for him, to bless him, to be close to him, you know, my desire is so much deeper. My, my love for him is so much stronger. Because love is meant to grow. Love is a living thing. Are you growing in your ability and your desire to love God with your soul? Do you love him a bit more with your soul this year than you did last year? It's a journey. And secondly, here's the other piece of good news that we need to be reminded about. I need to be reminded about. God says that this love that is a response, we can only love him in response to the knowing and the experiencing and the living in the knowledge of his love for us. So when I struggle to lay down my unforgiveness, or my pain, or my wallet, or my whatever it is, and I struggle to want to invite Jesus into my marriage, or my workplace, or my dreams, or whatever, I'm learning to remember, "Hills, darling, that's just a sign that you've taken a step back from my love. You've lost touch with my love. You're not living in the fullness of my affection for you. You've forgotten how much I care for you, how much I've done for you, how much I want for you, how much I've won for you. You've just forgotten that. Come and reconnect with my love. And that will enable you to respond to what I'm asking you to do. So it's not about trying harder to love him with a little bit more, gritting our teeth, you know, do more, try harder. It's about remembering that our capacity... And our desire to love God with all of our souls, it comes as a response to experiencing more of his love and affection for us. And that's what we need to go after. That's what we need to go after. Because I don't know about you, but I become detached from his love, detached from the consciousness of what he's done for me, what he's won for me, what he wants for me, what he's promised for me, what he's doing for me so easily you know back to that story in Luke 7 what does Jesus say verse 47 how great is her love because she understands how much I've loved her she's been forgiven much and she knows it and that's where this great love for me has come from she's loved up so she can lay down her life little homemade graphic here the more loved up we are, the more we can lay down. The more we trust his love, the more we know his love, the more we're experiencing his love, the more we are able to lay down and put at his feet and love him with all of our souls. But it's a cycle, and it's a cycle that keeps going, and a bit like a vortex draws us, you know, closer and closer to him as we go. And here's the thing. Jesus says, if you, if, you, if you love me and you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So it was like when I became a Christian. First thing, God says, give me your relationships. Relationships down at your feet. Relationship with guys. That was my little step of obedience. And as I began to let him into that part of my life, I, he began to demonstrate his love for me in ways that I wouldn't have seen if I hadn't put that down. So my love for him grew a bit so I could trust him with the next thing. It's a cycle. The more we lay down, the more we experience his love. But the more loved up we are, the more we can lay down. Last thing. I want to finish with one final passage, which is actually where we began last week. Nikki read it out before Tim spoke, and you know, Tim read it out too. I think it's really important as we, as we think about loving God with all of our hearts. And it's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3. And Paul's got a heart for his church, for the church that he's helped plant. He's got a heart for God's people to love him. Great commandment with all of their hearts, minds. But what does he say? He doesn't pray, oh Lord, help them to love you more. Lord, help them to be more obedient. Help them to lay down more of their lives. Help them to, you know, allow you to have more control of what goes on in their lives. Help them to love you uh, more with their relationships and in their workplaces or whatever. No, he prays this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, would know how high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of God. That you might become more rooted and established in this love. Why is he praying that? Because he knows that only God can help us grow and experience his love. I can't help you experience more of God's love. I can introduce you to Jesus, you can introduce someone else to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit has to take them into an experience of God's love. If we want to know more of God's love and if we need to know more of God's love because we're wrestling to be obedient in a particular area of our lives or lay it down, actually one of the best things we can do is get on our knees and go, Lord, reveal more of your love to me. Fill me with more of your love. Give me power to grasp more of the breadth and depth and height of your love for me. That's what Paul's praying for these people. It's like he's saying, Lord, they don't know you. They don't know how much you've done for them. They don't know how passionate you are for them. They don't know what you've given up for them. They don't know what you've prepared for them. They don't know how precious you are to them, how valuable to are, you are to them. They don't know it, Lord, and I want them to know it because it's going to make all the difference to their lives. If they understood, Lord, it's like he's saying, if they understood, Lord, they'd sell everything. They'd give you everything. They'd love you with their souls. But it's the Holy Spirit Who needs to make that happen for us? So friends, I want to encourage us as we continue to look at this commandment over these, well, we're going to be doing it next week and then we're going to be looking at the second half of it over uh, the weeks after James has been uh, in two Sundays time. I want to encourage us to be praying this prayer that we would know more of the love of Jesus, to be praying it for each other, to be praying it for ourselves so that the overflow of our response is our capacity to love him with our hearts, our souls, and our minds.